everyone. Thanks for tuning in to Power Athlete Radio. The NSCA is making it easier for you to show your value. Scott Cofield of this week's episode discusses developments that are intended to put coaching on the career map. This includes entire portfolios to present to your high school or your college, describing the necessity of certain coaching roles complete with testimonials. This is just one way in which Scott's work at the NSCA is moving towards the goal of getting coaches the compensation and the status that they deserve. And the gauntlet has been thrown for our friends Derek Woodski and Adam Nelson. John may have only played in the NFL, but he has got a gold medal in talking some serious shit. Here it is, episode 319. Power Athlete Nation. It's that time again for another episode of the premier podcast in strength and conditioning. Ing. Ing. Yeah. We got an extra ing. That's too many ings. Hey, no more ings. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, no more ings out of me. I didn't get a rump out of that guy. Ladies and gentlemen, this podcast is brought to you by the premier Instagram account on Instagram. If you are not following premier underscore penguin underscore ing underscore ing underscore ing, Three ings. Again, that is premier underscore penguin underscore ing underscore ing underscore ing. If you're not following the premier account on Instagram, you need to go follow now. We have no idea who this person is. Right now, uh, I am the front runner. It makes sense that it would be me, but it's uh, not me. Well, I mean, like you said, man, like screen caps, but like as I'm looking but at the it, thing like is the these... Pre- these the, they, they knew to pick the right font. So it's somebody who understands typography. Yes. On, on the Be The Hammer post that they posted, this is Premier uh, Penguin Ing Ing Ing. This is in. our... Oh, it says that underneath? Yeah. And I thought he just put a penguin on there. No, no. no it, that's uh, what I would have done. But they know what font we're using. Can't be me. So that might be a big giveaway. Yeah. I think it, it might be Hepton Stall. Well, they would have to know. I mean, uh, that isn't Berthold City, but it... No, it's, 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 it's a different it's font. It's the other that's one. The yeah. Do we, do we have the one. episode number where this joke originated? Uh, no. <sighs> Intern. Write that down. Show notes. We'll show notes. Well, this uh, episode also brought to you by our new internship program. The interns should know by now. Intern, how do you feel? Well, and here's the other he one. He signaled. <laughs> That's correct. He's well, allowed to talk uh, right now. Well, here's the other one on on one of the podcast a couple days or whenever we did, but we talked about it again. Bobby Boucher, yeah. Two things. Big City, or uh, uh, I fell in love with two things. Big City living and a voodoo woman named Phyllis, <laughs> which was a, you know, a bit that we used here. And all of a sudden it ended up in Premier Penguin Ing Ing Ing. It's so I'm it's very intrigued, and I hope this person never reveals, never reveals the oh, identity. Like the Hoff Rossman bit? Oh, yeah. How great was that? That he's real? No, he's not real. Uh, yeah, he no, is. No, we met him. Yeah. Luke hired an actor. I bought a truck from him. <laughs> no, you brought a truck from his buddy. Yeah, but he got us a truck, and we still have the truck. That's how we got the doors out and the tailgate off the seat. Real person. I got the wheels. See, you guys don't know how yeah, to you sniff did. out I, fraud. I got the bed. Uh, we used to tailgate. Like, you know, thank God Hoff Rossman was a real dude. Well, we're going to make this quick because, ladies and gentlemen, we, um, we have our guest in person here, Mr. Scott Caulfield with NSCA. So what if you have not gone to Power Athlete or events.powerathletehq.com slash symposium to check out the 2019, the pre- the Premier Strength and Conditioning Symposium in Austin in December in 2019. Is there anything else I'm missing? Um, no. What if there's another Premier Symposium? Then? No, we are the Premier Symposium okay. in Strength need, and Conditioning that has a podcast. Get going. Get going. 
Over half of the early bird tickets have been sold already from our announcement, which would be four weeks ago when this one airs or something. Whatever. You may, they might even be sold out. And you're just going to have to get your general admission, all access. Here's the thing. If you have any prior knowledge of the symposium, it's a three-day speaker experience. Extravaganza. Ex- that is absolutely correct. This year is a true extravaganza. No, it's going to be cool. Yeah. We are taking ex- extravaganza to the extreme. It's going to be fucking awesome. It is three days speaker experience. First day with our not-so-silent auction benefiting Wade's Army is going to be in the heart of downtown at a venue called 800 Congress Avenue. It is fucking epic. What's the address? 800 Congress okay. Avenue. And that's creative. The name is the address. That's, you know, what is that? It's funny. Um, what's then we what's funny about that? Julia Gulia. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm an idiot. <laughs> um, then we're moving to a new gym in downtown Austin, East Austin, East Austin Athletic Center. And it's fucking epic. 10,000 square foot facility. We have two days of practicals this year. Uh, we got plenty of space for everybody to participate this year in the practicals. So we've changed the format. We listened to the attendees from previous years. We could only support maybe 75 to 80 people at the practical. Now we're giving everybody a taste at that practical session. So we're super excited about that. Speakers are going to be announced over the next few weeks, uh, but get in early because there's not a lot of tickets. I think um, we're expecting the event to grow this year, but we have the ticket sales capped just like we did last year. So get in early. I'm telling you, don't be that guy. Don't be that girl who like hits us up and is like, hey, you know, I got a ticket, but my wife didn't. And can you just release one more ticket? No, you're going to fucking come solo. Leave your wife at home. Leave your kids at home. Don't even get a babysitter. Just come to Austin. Let's party. It's going to be epic. Anything to add? I don't, I don't even know how you add anything to that. Events. Yeah, you nailed it. That powerathletehq.com slash symposium. I am told the event headline sponsor will be the Instagram account Premier <laughs> Penguin Ing Ing Ing. They will also be the keynote. Will be a penguin. <laughs> Do we need a tank of penguins there? Oh, <laughs> uh, no. Well, well, I, I, actually, the dunk tank, it's just going to be you're pitching at a penguin. You there we go. Send yeah, him I home. Think Go John, to your home. So Tex and I were talking about this. We tried uh, to do Tex the, in a dunk tank. We tried to do a dunk tank at the CrossFit Games, Scott. We tried. We like. We tried to organize it. Uh, man, twenty fifteen. I can't. Remember. So uh, here's 15, the story. It had to be sixteen. So we looked at it. There were some logistical problems because you got to get like one hundred and fifty fucking gallons of water out there, you know. And it was in the midst of like a drought in Southern California, <laughs> so like it didn't seem like the most responsible use of fresh water. <laughs> and then we were like, "What if we just get bags of ice? It'll eventually melt." Remember that one? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then what we ended up doing—I don't know whose brainchild it was. Maybe Callie, I'll sell her out. Is we went on Amazon to find like dunk tank alternatives and we bought this thing called the splurge and it was a fucking one gallon bucket uh, like in this pvc thing that like when you hit the arm like it splurged on you and it was a it was the fucking biggest fucking fail ever but it was like an epic fail the splurge yeah yeah you remember that oh i I do now. I had blocked yeah, it out. I, I was going to say, I blocked it out until you said it, and I was like, oh, yeah, that was a terrible the idea. Splurge. And I yeah. think that was the last CrossFit Games we ever fucking, like, uh, it was 2016. went to. Yeah. No, Ooh. no, no. It was 15 because 16 we just attended. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we had Atkins in. Oh, so. yeah, yeah. And then we, uh, we left the lights on in the duel. Uh, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. The truck. So it was 15. Mm-hmm. That'll happen. Well, anyways, enough about us, enough about the symposium. Ladies and gentlemen, Scott Caulfield has been hanging out with us the past couple days here in Austin, and we have him on the podcast today, man. Scott, what's going on? Sorry about the extended, like, nonsensical intro. 
No worries. I love listening to you guys' podcast. Uh, <laughs> oh. Great to be here in person, too, man. Thank got you. Got in Tuesday night. Got a quick lift. Uh, lifted at UT yesterday. It's all good, yeah. Got we'll another early bird lift in. I will say I'm not a not usually a 6 a.m. exerciser, so a little shock to the system. But yeah, I'll put, I'll put the horses. Yeah, no, I, uh, I feel like uh, it starts the day and also allows me to get out of the house quickly before like my kids get up. And then my wife has to deal with that absolute <laughs> like hurricane. Yeah. Oh, so you got sense. a system. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. So I'm like, oh, you know, and like uh, these guys know, like if my kids wake up early and I'm like, oh, I'm late. Like I, I'm like, oh, I got to get out of here. Uh, yeah. Like, so, Scott, what's going on, man? Let's say some listeners don't know who you are. Right. Give us the background. You can give us the. Long version, the short version, whatever you're feeling today. Sure. Uh, yeah, quick and dirty. Uh, you know, at the last eight and a half years, I've been at the NSCA headquarters. My uh, a couple titles I have are one is head strength conditioning coach, the other is coaching education manager. So really anything that you see the NSCA does for strength and conditioning coaches, that falls in my wheelhouse. So could be, you know, speakers and events, uh, web content projects from high school to professional uh, strategic partnerships, relationships, all the above. And again, we have Nate Palin, who you guys had on the show recently, who does that for our tactical program. Mm -hmm. Another guy, Nick Clayton, who does it for personal training. So yeah, pretty cool. I think I have the best job in the building. My office is actually in the weight room. So I get to be in the weight room every day. Um, you know, and the, and if you've ever been out to HQ, we've got a pretty sweet 6,000 square foot weight room, garage doors go right out to the turf, you know, 300 plus days of sunshine in Colorado. Yeah. Not nearly as hot as it is here. Um, which makes it kind of nice. Um, and yeah, I mean, I did a little bit of everything before that. I've worked at, uh, you know, Dartmouth college as a strength coach, uh, I've been in the private sector. I did personal training. I, you know, cleaned fitness floors and vacuumed carpets, uh, you know, when I first got kind of started part-time in the gym business and kind of anything and everything in between. Nice, man. And then you also Navy dude, right? Was in the Navy for a few years. Yeah. So I wasn't a great student. Uh, tech said yesterday, yeah, what made you go in the Navy? And I said, well, I failed out of college. So <laughs> it was a pretty easy choice at that point. Um, but I kind of had that, you know, I wanted to go in to get the GI Bill and get out and go back to school. And that's what I did. I did four years on an amphibious assault ship called the USS Guam, which was cool. Uh, you know, we did two, six med cruises, they call them deployments, um, saw a ton of different countries. And, you know, at the time when you're 21 to 25, I don't think you are nearly as appreciative of that kind of stuff right. as you are now. Like, it's like, holy shit, you know, I've, been to talked, Africa. I've told these guys numerous times that the worst thing you can do is send an 18 to 22 year old kid to college, What you need to do is like work and do things and then, th then go back at like 32. Absolutely. Cause then all of a sudden you'll appreciate it. Cause, yeah. uh, like if I got the chance to go back to school right now, I would be, one of those awful students in the back being like, professor, have you ever been like, shut up, old dude, yeah. quiet. Yeah. Oh man, I'd suck it up, dude. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. I graduated my undergrad when I was 30. It was perfect. Yeah. Much more focused. I mean, I was still wasn't that great of a student, but mm -hmm. at least went to class a the second time around. Yeah. Right? I showed up like showing up. You're like, I'm so, paying money. I'm going to take the ride. Yeah. Secret tip. If you're still in college, just go to class yeah. and, yeah. Uh, and be engaged and you'll probably do okay. Uh, dude, I've told most people that when they ask me, I'm like, uh, if you just show up and you like pretend to even give a little bit of effort, the, the professor and people will help you just for the mere fact that like the people that don't show up, they're like, ah, fuck them. They're not going to invest in us. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. My old man. And I were talking about that. He, his first year in college just was, they're trending poorly, not the best student. And one day he figured out, just sit up front and go to every fucking class. And right. then from there, it just trended positively. 
And coincidentally, I, that was the same lesson I had. So be if you, you're up front, you can't fall asleep. You know what I mean? They'll notice. So you, you're there, you're taking yeah. notes, puts you in a great position. I remember uh, when I, uh, my freshman year when I got in, uh, you know, we had to take a bunch of classes and I took, uh, I think it was like rhetoric 1A. And, uh, the, you know, there was maybe 15 people in the class. And as we sat down the very first day, you know, they go over, they give out the reading list. So about a week or two in and we were supposed to read a book and then we had to come in and argue and do this discussion deal. And I got called on and I hadn't read and the teacher was like, well, thank you for not contributing. You can go. I was like, well, what do you mean? And they're like, well, I'm going to mark you absent. And oh. if you didn't go, if, if you got so many absents, then they just failed you in the course. Right, right. And I was, and they were, you know, and this is my first exposure to like Socratic method, like stand up. And if you can't contribute, then you get to go home and I'll give you an, uh, a mark and you can only get three of them before you fail. And I was like, <gasps> okay. And at that point I never came unprepared, showed up to every class. And I was like, that was by far like the best life lesson I got. And uh, I always think with some of these classes, if they put kids in that position where, you know, sink or swim. So, yeah, I took a course where that was the format. It was like a history course. And when they explained it day one, I'm like, this is I'm not going to be able to fucking keep up with this because it was a heavy, heavy reading list. And I'm paralleling with like lab time for computer science and just the math shit. It was a bad choice. I fucking I think it enrolled in tennis and smoked a bunch of noobs out there. Uh, don't <laughs> fact check that one. <laughs> well, we're going to have to play some pickleball and see what goes on. I'm in, dude. I'm joining, Scott, I'm joining adult co-ed pickleball league. Nice. Probably this Friday I'm going to go over there. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Well, you should actually play pickleball once just to see. Have. Oh, have you played? Yeah, I played in SoCal with Ben. Because okay. Elliot is big into it. And like, so he's like, I think he's part of a company that is like pickleball equipment he invested in. And it, now it's like the fastest growing yeah. sport in America. I think they're trying to get an Olympic ticket. Is this uh, like a yeah, my, uh, is this a real thing or is this false? That's my, probably his my propaganda. Bill, yeah, that's, that could be it. <laughs> my uncle Bill has played like competitive pickle, pickleball for like I'm gonna fact 10, 15 years. He, uh, he was a professional hockey player, played for like the Canadian Olympic team like back in like the 50s. And uh, he's like 80 something and still plays pickleball five days a week. And I, I went out and I played racquetball pickleball with him years ago. And he fucking smoked me. <laughs> It was, uh, he's pretty good. He's still a pretty good athlete. I was like, God damn. Pickleball in the Olympics. Will it ever be an Olympic sport? There's no date on this article. So yeah. Is it, is it by that. Elliot Oliver? Scott, <laughs> <laughs> uh, did you study strength and conditioning, performance, health, any of that? Or was this just kind of, oh, I'm going to go learn this stuff on the side because I'm interested and I'm going to get through school? Yeah, no. I mean, first time around, I didn't know what I wanted to do, which was a good sign that I probably wasn't going to last. Uh, so yeah, when I went back for my, to finish the undergrad, I got my degree in physical education. It was a non-teaching track. So it was more, uh, you know, nutrition, motor learning. So you could kind of go to P, be a PE teacher route, or this one was a non-teaching option, which also allowed me to graduate sooner, but health and fitness management, some of those types. So it seemed like, okay, this is another option. But I mean, honestly, too, the amount that I was, able to like start training myself when I was in the Navy because there's nothing shit else to do when you're out to sea mm -hmm. except um, lift weights and uh, do your job. So that was great from a like physical development foundational standpoint. Um, and then kind of after graduating, working part time in a gym, things just kind of steamboated, steamrolled for me from there. Like the guy that was the general manager was like, hey, you kind of seem very interested in this stuff, like you're pretty you're passionate, you have a degree, you want to just work here full time. And so that kind of led just literally to 
become personal training trainer, becoming a personal training manager, becoming the fitness director, becoming the fitness and group exercise director of two clubs. And then along that line, at some point, you know, I realized that you could work with athletes and actually someone that I had met told me about the NSCA and they're like, Hey, you should check this out. This CSCS thing, it's a certification you get, blah, blah, blah. That kind of, again, you know, introduced me to a whole nother group of people that were passionate about training athletes. And then once I realized that that could be a real thing, I was like, okay, now how do I put all my eggs in this basket and kind of follow this path? Nice. So for, do we have listeners that don't know what the NSCA is doing? I mean, the penguins, I don't know. Yeah, possibly. <laughs> so give us a breakdown of the organization, right? Yeah. Maybe a little history and then like, I guess where it fits in today's model. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it was founded in 1978 by Boyd Epley and a group of other strength and conditioning coaches. Um, it was at that first time when it was initiated, it was called the National Strength Coaches Association. Um, I forget what year they changed it to National Strength and Conditioning Association. But, uh, I mean, again, most people are going to, when they have heard of us, they'll think of the CSCS certification, uh, Certified Strength and Conditioning Specialist. But we now have four certifications uh, the CSCS, our CPT, which is the personal trainer, uh, TSAC F, which is tactical, police, fire, military, and then a special pop cert. Um, again, uh, we do everything under the sun from four peer-reviewed journals to web content to, you know, four major events across the country, personal trainer conference, national conference, coaches conference, tactical conference, uh, and then almost every state and region has a state director or a regional coordinator mm -hmm. who then set up smaller events, um, you know, in every state. So that's another way that I first got involved. I was the NSCA Vermont state director. Um, and just, again, doing, you know, similar to, you know, what you do with an event, putting on networking and educational opportunity, getting people to share some knowledge and network, um, just doing it on a smaller scale. And that just kind of continued my involvement in NSCA, getting on committees, going to more events, networking with more people. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, and I had been out to Colorado somewhere in the late 2000s, maybe 2009 or 10. Um, and I was just at a point in my life where I could kind of pick up a move. So I had put feelers out and was like, hey, if anything ever comes up out here, you know, let me know. And I'm down. Uh, and I mean, someone shot me a note in like late 2010, said, hey, there's some jobs opening you should apply. And I did and got lucky and went out there in January 2011. Nice. Um, not exactly for the job I have now. So I've, I was first hired as an education coordinator. I was sitting in a cube in the back of the education department wearing a button-down shirt every day wondering why, <laughs> why I chose to do that, why I left and moved across the country where I didn't really know anybody. Um, but again, I got lucky. Um, you know, sometimes I, I like to say it's better to be lucky than good. But, uh, you know, Six months after I've been there, I got promoted to the job I have now. And again, that job has changed innumerously in even the last four years to mm -hmm. a lot of this bigger picture stuff. Again, part of the reason also coming in to hang out with you guys. And then, uh, you know, the next couple of days I have the uh, NHL strength and conditioning coaches kind of annual meeting downtown Austin. So I'll be going to that kind of just continuing to build a relationship with the professional organizations like we already have great uh, association and relationships with Major League Baseball, the NBA strength coaches, NFL strength coaches. And so just kind of continuing trying to, you know, see where we can also help these organizations and how we can help them better, how we can help serve them better, um, what resources they need, 
what they want, uh, you know, engage them more with the NSCA. Mm -hmm. So like with, with some of the other professional sports organizations, what do they lean on you for? Uh, you know, Major League Baseball has probably had the longest relationship with NSCA of any of them. Um, it's been well over a decade. Um, we are at a point with them where they actually require the CSCS certification and our registered strength and conditioning coach designation, uh, which is called RSCC, if you don't have enough acronyms. Uh, they require that in Major League Baseball all the way uh, from head level down to double a now so um mba strength and conditioning coaches have it written in the collective bargaining agreement that you have to have cscs and three years head coaching experience uh, i'm pretty sure the nfl is working on getting some language in the collective bargaining agreement so that's moving that way mm -hmm. so you know and it's it's just you know also leveraging those guys to give them a voice uh, to give back to speak um we sponsor a couple talks at major league baseball winter meetings and so yeah we've had a special issue of our nsca coach journal that was kind of headed by the nba strength coach association so yeah it's it's anything and everything um a lot of different things it's more just also working with those organizations and seeing what they want what they need and you know how can we help or how can we be a better resource to them i think that's a big thing uh, that i tell people too is i think our organization like from a, when you talk about a membership benefit right you pay money for this membership um, with the four journals that we four peer-reviewed journals you know over i think 500 conference videos now on the website uh, and I can't even tell you how many articles from the journals that get put into the website. It's now mobile friendly, all that good stuff, you know, discounts on events by being a member. So I think the membership is really worth, uh, you know, a true value now. And I'm not sure that because you don't have to be certified and keep your membership. So with an accredited certification, you can't make people be a member. So that's something that people don't really always realize or know. Um, so I, I was, you know, one of the reasons going to work there was like, all right, how can we make this membership more valuable? So that's been a big one for us, too, mm -hmm. is just continuing to think, how do we make this better? And I guess you've said, um, you know, your role has evolved over the past four or five years. Is it is that resulting from changes in the industry and like, I guess, the type of coaches that are coming in or the uh, maybe a new generation of coaching or? Yeah, I mean, I think part of it obviously is being able to being connecting with the membership and having people know that they have someone who is a real strength coach, you know, that can actually do it. I mean, I think Boyd Epley, who was at NSC headquarters, went back to back to Nebraska as an associate athletic director. Now, um, you know, he was big on that, that we had to get get me out of the hq more often and get in front of the coaches and build these relationships and let them know who i was and and know that they could reach out so that you know the, the biggest thing i think for me in the last four years has been just making that availability to people so that if they have even the randomest question or maybe what they might think is small they know oh wait no i know scott can at NSCA. And well, it seems like big organizations like the NSCA are kind of faceless in a lot of ways. And especially, you know, when you look at the journal, it's a, you know, collection of people writing for it. And so there's really not like a consistent individual. So I think having like a face or somebody like a point of contact that people can look at and think, oh, I want to reach out to the NCA. I have a you know, point of contact in Scott that I can find. 100%. Yeah, that's a great point. Because again, and we were joking about this yesterday, I was telling you guys that I think most people when they think of NSCA headquarters, they think there's like these guys walking around in lab coats with their clipboards. and well, that's 
architects dreams about. He's like, oh, they got lab coats. Well, yeah, it was like Willy Wonka's factory when I went there. And then, you know, I was kind of disappointed. I'm like, where's, Why, could you turn where's into, the labs? Because you turned into a blueberry? No, a fizzy lifting drink, John. Oh, I thought, got me. I thought you threw a tantrum. You turned into a big blueberry. Then they had to send you down to the, uh, to the juicer. No. I uh, haven't seen the movie. Oh, what? <laughs> You've never seen the... Oh, I watched it with my kids, I'm and paleo. they were scared to death. Like, that was the scariest movie. Like, like, like my son was hiding behind the couch, like, lifting his head up, and he's like, that's scary. I'm like... Well, this is propaganda to not eat candy. Uh, (laughs) The Oompa Loompas, like, the whole deal, man, just scared, like, scared them to death. They were like, this is a kid's movie? I'm like... Uh, Times are different. That's that's, that's my excuse for everything now when they ask me these questions. Like, ah, times are different. Uh, You know, like, um, uh, just a random kid story, but... um, when we were kids, uh, I think we were scared to not eat because my mom would fu- just fucking flip out at us if we didn't eat the food. My kids would be like, oh, I'm not hungry. i am like, what do you mean you're not hungry? I'm like, well, you know, in my day, we had to eat the food we put out. And then uh, they're like, ooh. And then we get into this whole thing. I'm like, oh, maybe it's a different time. Can't really kill, you know, like uh, salt your kids for not eating breakfast. So what are some other misconceptions that you often go to battle with, your coaches that may not uh, truly understand what NCA represents or does? Well, I mean, I think, too, a lot of uh, when I hear, you know, there'll be certain, like, air quotes, you know, the NSCA this or said this or said that, you know, it's most of the time in my experience, from what I've seen and observed, it could be anybody who has a certification or it could be, you know, uh, a member of a committee or a board of directors or something that may say something, and then, you know, XYZ person is, is saying, the NSCA said this. Well, then it, we, we have certain statements on different things and do joint statements with organizations like CSCCA and have position stands, but, you know, rarely are we making statements on anything. Mm-hmm. So I think for me, uh, uh, and sometimes I have to keep the trigger finger off of social media, you know, because I, I take stuff too personal and get too invested in it. And I'm like, I want to tell them where to stick it when, mm-hmm. you know, but th- but people don't know that. So and it's and you have to remember that it's like, well, it's not. So how you do know. you balance that? Like your own personal, um, I guess you could say, like, maybe not, I mean, not biased, but like your own personal point of view, like, hey, this is how I view this. Uh, but I'm representing the NSCA, which they're, you know, the, the you know, I would say that the NSCA's kind of goal is to stay kind of neutral within it yeah. and just present the information in right. the best light right. and allow people the, you know, that should be strength conditioning specialists to come up with their own stuff without spoon feeding them. I mean, totally. yeah, like, I mean, anytime I've ever read any of the research by the NSCA, it's always presented in a very good way. And then from it, I draw my own. It's not like you guys have right. this, ex, you know, uh, extensive, like, this is what this means. And this yeah, is what you gospel. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I 100% of what, what you just said, you know, I, I really try and toe the line of just being like, look, this is general principles. Most of the time, that's what we're talking about. And then it's up to you to go and implement it however you can implement it, depending on your... Well, do you get a lot of people who are kind of anti-science? I mean, like text beliefs in flat earth. I mean, so how do you, how do you deal with the flat earthers of uh, strength conditioning? Oh, yeah. I mean, I would say there's something there, John. Uh, Yeah. I know exactly. I know exactly where your head's at, McCoy. (laughs) Uh, I don't, I I mean, I don't engage with many of the non-sciences. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm, I pretty much stay away from any of the things that could take you down a rabbit hole or, you know, 
I've, get I've me found in, get two, me in trouble. <laughs> there's really th- uh, call it two, maybe three places where um, people get into like mysticism. Yeah. One of them's in like training, where like now all of a sudden you hear these just like preposterous claims, and then the other one is nutrition and supplementation. Nutrition being the worst. Yeah. And I think what happens is is um, and I was joking with Rob Wolf about this about uh, that uh, you know the ketogenic diet, which. I've followed for years and if people have used for years has kind of reached the, like it's become the new paleo where like now people are like spinning it in like mysticism. And it's like it's like the fasting thing we were laughing about when we were at the Stark Center yesterday. Yeah. They were like, oh, you know, there was a, a magazine from the 30s or the 40s talking about like fasting as a way for them. I mean, it's like nothing's new. Right. It's just new marketing posted or uh, presented. But it's almost like people get into this and they don't really understand the physiology and they or even the effect and then instead of being like, hey, um, you know, some fasting is a really cool way to get in caloric restriction. It has to, like, have all this mysticism behind it being like, and then when you starve yourself, right. this, this biological factors. Yeah. And, like and, all of a sudden, you know, growth hormone, ram- you know, ramps up, which it does, but it's unusable. Right. I mean, so there's all this like and a cursory Google search of the research will like dispel a lot of this. Yeah. But it's like people just go by that and look at like, oh, let's go with the mysticism. Yeah. Yeah, no, there's so much. I mean, you know, as well as I, and that the internet has created as much trouble as any, as it has been helpful. You know, so again, I think you know we have pretty hard. I would say, you know, the people who get involved with the NSTA are, are very you know passionate about what they're doing, and whether that's in research about nutrition or training or whatever aspect is it. Um, you know, that also is that the thing that I think is unique about the organization is because um, we have such a wide array of all those different people. You've got researchers, you've got professors, you have students, you have strength coaches, you have personal trainers, tactical, um, and and everything in between, you know. So um, it also makes it tough to serve all those populations and all those people and keep everybody happy. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, I think, you know, the... Again, since I've been there, you know, the last eight years plus, um, there's definitely been a steady kind of uptake of, uh, you know, the positive engagement and things that we're even doing internally, um, you know, from our membership certification, all that to like evaluate and listen to people and try and, you know, try and listen and change things based on what people, what our members want. Uh, how many uh, members does the NSC? Uh, a little over 29,000 right now. And then I think there's about 45,000 total certificates. So, again, it could be because you don't have to keep your membership. And branches popping up all over the world. We were talking about Japan. Yeah. So yeah. where else is NSCA? Yeah, international affiliates. Uh, NSCA Japan, again, is our like, kind of longest standing. They're, uh, I think, 26 or 27 years they've been around now, a little over 5,000 members. Uh, NSCA Spain, NSCA Italy, NSCA Shanghai, NSCA Korea. I think those are the five main ones right now. Um, some of them are just kind of, you know, offices that do uh, education certification. But NSCA Japan, again, like I mentioned, is the most kind of organized. They have an actual training facility um, over in Kyoto, Japan, uh, which I've been to in 2015. It's kind of a smaller version of ours. And they've got a classroom. They've got the whole deal, coaching offices. So it's pretty cool to see um, them getting in that dialed into it. Yeah. So then who, who are your counterparts in the European 
areas, you know, the UK or Germany or even Australia. I mean, Australia's gone. Yeah. I mean, we work, we, we work with ASCA and UK SCA. Um, and again, we're, we try and, you know, a lot of people from those countries as well have the CSCS certification as well as the ones that they offer too. Um, we're definitely trying to collaborate even more with those organizations and see what, you know, what that looks like and how we can help each other kind of keep this snowball of strength and conditioning and, you know, science-based application and rolling with within all of our domains because so much of it crosses over with so many of these people mm-hmm. is it common for coaches in the u.s to get certifications from europe or australia i don't know it, that i'd say common yeah i mean there are a few yeah it? i know a few people who have the uk sca and who have the asca level one and two so you know, UK SCA and I think UK SCA both have levels, which is kind of cool, the way that they've, um, you know, been able to break it out and systematize it. And people have always, you know, kind of wanted us to try and do that with the CSCS. But again, with the accreditation and all oh, the yeah. things that go into that, it's a, it's, a, it's a wormhole if you try and start changing stuff. And mm-hmm. it's kind of like, look, CSCS is, is tried and true. It's proven. It's a foundational certification like don't mess with something if it's not broken you know Mm -hmm. um and but you know on the tail end of that um for some people who are listening that have heard about the accreditation movement you know um we picked this date pretty far out that's going to take us time to get there but by 2030 you're going to have to have graduated from an accredited strength and conditioning program to be able to sit for the cscs so big change um, you know, currently you can, you just need a four year degree. It could be in history or it could be in exercise science. Um, by 2030, you're going to have to have come out of an approved, uh, you know, pre-approved accredited strength and conditioning program. And we have a board kind of this accreditation board for lack of a better term right now, who's developing what, what those standards will be. Um, again, one of the knocks, you know, I think that we've heard on the CSCS is, there's no practical point, right? You know, they say, oh, you can just study and take the test. Well, I argue that it's like a 40% pass rate. So studying and taking the test is not necessarily a guarantee. Right. Uh, but yes, there's no practical, you know, real practical coaching experience. So with this accreditation thing, you know, it's going to be standardized across the board. Mm-hmm. So if the, uh, you know, the people that are developing it and, and a few of the people on the board, uh, you know, Joe Ken with the Carolina Panthers, one of the new board members, um, Maura Bergen at Springfield College, a professor and a coach there. Um, there's a bunch of others, but they're developing all this stuff. Todd Miller at George Washington University. Um, and so they may determine, hey, you're going to need a 1,200-hour internship from an approved CSCS, RSCC, mm. whatever, strength coach if you wanted to so that is going to take care of some of those i think complaints for lack of a better term that it that there's no practical component i often hear those complaints from people in the industry and the argument is they either they failed the test or a part of the test or they don't want to invest in their career and development as a professional or yeah they're just scared to study Mm-hmm. More often than not. Well, with the CSCS? Mm-hmm. So they, a, they come up with these, oh. uh, this is why I don't have it, or... 
Well, would it be something where you guys grandfather people in, or uh, I could imagine somebody's been with the you know NSCA for twenty years, and all of a sudden they're like, "Your certification is longer current because you did underwater basket weaving in college." No, for yeah, great great major. Yeah, but so that's what we're telling people: we're like, whatever you do, don't let it lapse between now and then. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So everyone that has it, you're you're fine. If you're listening, don't worry, don't freak out. Mm -hmm. Uh, You're not gonna have to go back to school, although you might, you know, probably should do some at least. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, be be that old guy in the back (laughs) Mm -hmm. or the front. Or the front. One more question. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, you, uh, everyone that has CSCS currently uh, will be, you know, will be grandfathered in or whatever that wording that you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, is, we, the, is the goal is because ultimately the barrier is being increased to enter into the space. Yeah. Is that like part of the goal or is that just yeah. coincidental? Nope. That's totally part of the goal. Yeah. So the, you know, the, it's a recognition a of this profession being more recognized, mm-hmm. being more serious, you know, or, you know, when job postings are requiring master's degrees and, and accredited certifications. So this is going to help raise the standard, raise uh, salaries, raise, you know, mm-hmm. all of those things that are going along with it. Right. And, all not and, bad things. No, totally. And it's, right. you know, people, especially in college are at a real, tipping point right now where you know they're starting to say hey man we're not we're not being treated well enough we're not being paid well enough and we mm-hmm. did a salary survey that we put out last year that i think you know is it's very helpful to people now because they can take some data from you know whatever it was close to three thousand coaches that filled it out and go back to their administrators and be like hey look mm-hmm. you know this is this is legit salary survey we had a third-party company do it you know so it's it's hands down you know something and again you know i guess another kind of important factor i think to mention is that you know we're not um a lobbying organization you know we we want to try and support our members as much as possible but i mean we're really more of an, an education organization so we can't go to whatever university and tell them you're not paying this person enough you know, that, that's where, and, and a guy named Mike Caro, who's the chair of our college coaches, SIG, um, he's at Emory and Henry College in uh, tiny town, Virginia, somewhere. Um, but Mike is doing a heck of a job, um, and he's been a big proponent of, like, look, yes, you know, this these resources are available, but you have to actually do something about it, too. You can't just sit back and say oh, the NSCA has to do this for me. It's like, you have to take some ownership. And, and you know, my good buddy, Ron McKeefer, he always has said that, you know, don't don't complain about something if you're not willing to volunteer for for a committee or, you know. Oh, well, that would seat. not be the American way, would it? <laughs> wouldn't it I mean, it, you know, to, to sit at home and, uh, and bitch about everything without actually, you know, picking up a sign or doing anything active, proactive, uh, it's, it's become the new norm, right? Uh, yeah. Chirp about I, it on Twitter. That's yeah. right. And I think it's totally fine. Because <laughs> I don't listen to those people. Yeah. No, I, I yeah. I, Present solutions. Not problems. Right. Yeah. I, yeah, I don't feel that I, if they're going and taking this career path, they probably are willing to say something because if you're looking at the collegiate strength and conditioning profession, it's one of the only careers in which you need a master's degree just to get an internship. So that kind of investment and fight and kind of, you know, investment of time, money, resources, and I view them as willing to stand up, I guess, I guess a lot of the coaches that I know. Mm-hmm. But I guess NSCA can then, is providing them with tools and opportunities to take that to the boards that don't value this. 
right? I mean, how many people have we run into that don't value strength? Oh, I exercise. I, I get it. I can do that. And they're in decision-making seats. And then, you know, they don't trust the professionals that have been doing this for a very long time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How do you build that value or present a case to uh, an administration that doesn't believe in fitness and wellness and yeah, I just can't help but, I can't help but keep looping back to like the PE, like high school PE. Yeah, the same right. Yeah, same idea. Yeah, it's kind of flowing into the professional space. It's it, yeah, I believe it's at all levels. Why is fitness and health and wellness and movement so devalued? I don't know. Bunch of hacks and well, probably because they can. Because they can't. The yeah, administrations? Because, yeah, because they can. I mean, it's uh, it's not something that they can actively point to as like a, a revenue bucket. Um, you know, think about, you know, for sports in college. I mean, the amount of money that, uh, you know, football and, ba you know, not even baseball, but really like the, you know, Division One football team brings in, uh, you know, within not only their, you know, TV deals and ticket sales and concessions and all that really drive a lot of uh, other sports. I mean, it's just how it works. Very true. So they get into a situation where, like, hey, we have to not only, like, make sure we don't cut the neck of the golden goose, but we also have to be able to bring people in to manage the other places and, you know, budget and you know, all the other key factors. So I always thought it was interesting when I was, at least when I was at Cal, and even though we were not a great team, I mean, that's how they generate their cash. So then you have all these other ADs associated with all these other programs who think that they really have a voice, but at the end of the day, like, there's only one, you know, only one person wags the tail. So I think it just comes down to kind of just there's not a direct revenue stream associated with it. And at the end of the day, uh, most universities, while we think of them as these like shining examples of education, uh, a lot of them are for profits. A lot of them are there to make money. I mean, look at the rising deal. I mean, just I think it comes down to, you know, people tend to put their focus on where the money comes from. I mean, we, you know, you do it in business. If something is. Uh, you know, a massive revenue generator, you're going to put a ton of focus into that. It's just kind of the way it works. So I think they're just not really able to find a way to monetize a lot of the stuff. Yeah. I think one of the big ones too was um, at least, you know, when you're talking about trying to be a voice for it or, or talk the right language, you know, uh, supervision and liability is, is the big one. And, you know, you can pick a few, lawsuits or whatnot or incidences that have happened in strength and conditioning and, and use that yeah. on, for your behalf, you know, and it's the same thing that we were talking with Luke yesterday about, you know, no high school is going to build a swimming pool and not hire lifeguards to sure. watch the swimming pool. Right. So how are we going to expect them to open a weight room and then they're going to let the math teacher supervise it so you know well, I mean, being able to talk that language of the administrators that they understand is a paradigm shift too well the, the the one that blows my mind and um you know over the years there's been these situations in college football whatnot where like you know they come into off-season workouts and these kids get you know messed up and uh uh, you know you hear all this fucking outrage and people losing their mind and they do this my thing is um it's pretty much on the players. And I know that sounds like a very interesting approach for me to take, but I knew coming back in the, like uh, after winter break for off season conditioning, that if I hadn't been training, uh, I was going to get into the meat grinder and they were going to fuck me up. It was just, they, they punish you. That's the way it works. Like you're on scholarship. We gave you this training program. If you do this training program, when you come back, you should be able to have this base level of capacity. 
And then we would go out and like first week they would, you know, test us, put it, I mean, not test us like in terms of like actual testing, but go and put you into some tough stuff. And it was like a full dead on go. And if you weren't ready, then you know what? You probably shouldn't be there. So whenever I saw any of those guys like, oh, this kid got messed up and I saw the workouts, I'm like, ah, you know, as a 20 year old uh, division one college football player, that workout should not have been terrible. You should have easily been handled. You know, I think the one that was what, like two back squats at 225 on the minute for like 20 minutes and then sled pushes and the one kid, you know, and all those kids got injured. I'm like, dude, either they were, had been out drinking the night before and they showed up to hydrated or they completely showed up out of shape and the coach was going to fucking lay the hammer on them as you should. It's a fucking division one organization. You're there on scholarship. Like at some point you have to accept some responsibility and, um, I'm sure people be like, Oh, it's so fucked up. But that's the way I look at it. Like, uh, you know, my job in terms of training was to train myself to not only protect myself on the field, but pr- protect myself from what was going to happen to me in terms of the training environments. And, um, you know, I think that there's always a good way to temper that stuff. But, you know, and I'm sure now it's a little different. But shit, man, I mean, like, I think 20 years ago, it was like, OK, you got a hammer to the face, either like it or get out. And now it's turned into a kind of a kinder, gentler deal. But uh, I mean, uh went to the CSCCA and sat in on a presentation where NSCA and CSCA, CSCCA are teaming up and presented something in June. So they wanted return to play protocols or return to season training protocols. Do you know anything about what they're trying to do there? Yeah, I mean, I didn't write any of the article, so um, not super in on it. But, uh, no, it was a joint statement. We uh, have been working together pretty closely for the last about a year and some change to get this thing out. Um, and, again, yeah, it was talking about transition periods as well as different, you know, heat and other illnesses and types of things that, you know, red flags, things you should be watching out for, communication with the medical staff, communication with the training staff, the sports coaching, um, and just, you know, properly progressing people over the right period of time to get back acclimated after these periods of, you know, detraining or... Yeah, but I mean, uh, kids going to training camp, like like this one blew my mind. Like, um, I remember our our, uh, uh, summer ball, like our summer conditioning, you know, summer school would end and we'd have like two weeks off and then, you know, uh, summer ball starts. Like, we had trained the whole offseason. I mean, uh, like, there isn't – well, I, I can't say that because there were people – there was, like, one or two people that dared show up out of shape, and, like, it just was bad for those guys. So I'm like, man, the reason you train is so that this is, like, not a uh, – like, this, this isn't getting marched off, like, the baton death march. Like, right. this is, like, something you can do. And, like, when I look at this stuff, I'm like, man, at some point you have to uh, put some, you know um, – I guess some pressure on the athletes and be like, Hey man, like this isn't going to be easy. Like this will not be over, you know, quickly. I mean, I think training camp at college is like seven days. You know, when I was in the NFL, I mean, it's less than two weeks when I was in the NFL, it was like, uh, geez, I think my rookie year, we were in there 42 days and we had a buy in preseason. Like it was, uh, you know, we were in there for double days and it just was, it was terrible, but yeah. they're paying you money to somehow just get up and do it. So I, John, I can't remember. I don't know if this is, from your playing days or this is a new thing but now scholarships are four years guaranteed so if you make a mistake on a player they're still stuck with you in that scholarship so this could be new or could be just certain I can't sports remember um, but i've definitely heard this rule and i don't i don't know how far back yeah, it goes. They, they give uh, if guys get injured they give them medical scholarships which means that they can kind of transition them into a different pool so that that scholarship doesn't count against your total scholarship table like i remember we had one guy um bruce kelly who hurt his back a rookie year and they just gave him a medical 
and he was a normal student with a full scholarship, and we didn't really see him anymore. Yeah, I mean, where, where this came about, it was during <laughs> basketball season, and we're hearing about all these transfers, and, you know, coaches, kids are more willing to transfer. I can't remember the number off the top of my head, but it was astronomical, and a lot of it comes from the push of the coach because they want to now free up that scholarship if the individual is not a, let's say, a personality fit or a yeah. system fit. So they are almost trying to push these guys out because they want to free up that spot. Yeah. Otherwise, that kid's on the end of the bench. He ain't playing. They ain't playing. And um, funny how I corrected that, but not the improper use. Whatever. Anyway, so I just didn't know if it went back all the way. Um, I, yeah, I mean, I, um, yeah, I, mean I, I think the only reason I saw people get scholarships taken was uh, if they didn't meet basic physical or uh, educational levels. Like there were guys on the team that were just – totally sucked they couldn't necessarily get rid of them uh but they as long as they stayed in school and they stayed eligible they were there i mean the only guys i saw get booted out were the ones that uh um either did something bad or got you know like a character violation or like you know failed out in school those guys usually got booted but for the most part you get that scholarship man you're there and as long as you do your part you know show up on time do the training you know they uh they're taking a gamble on what they think your talent is i mean you might not be talented enough to play the game but is that your fault that they gave you the scholarship you know, and I, I've, I think today the process is so much more refined. I mean, the fact that I used to get a letter in the mail and I used to have to send highlight tapes like VHSs to the coach and mail it to him. And then they would watch this. Like now it's like Internet, YouTube. They have social media. I mean, it's just like the amount of attention and how these guys are evaluating kids is so much different than it was well, then. There's companies now that collect the video and then you say you like – describe what kind of school you go to and then they send it that hit the coaches up so the this came into play like right as i stopped coaching college sport i'm like damn it's so easy now but yeah i mean just driving just, around just, just social media i mean i remember uh, cal high sports was like a big magazine for like high school and i remember their guy's name was i think joe bark maybe and uh, i remember he came to our high school and interviewed us and then there was like a, a write-up in Cal High Sports, and they send them to the schools. And then all of a sudden, they go out and they call, and there's like something called the Long Beach Press Telegram, where they hit up like the at the time it was ten uh, Pac-10 schools, and they ask, "Would you give so and so a scholarship?" And if you, you know, however many of the Pac-10 schools were going to give you a scholarship, got you votes on the Long Beach Press Telegram. So I think I had like six or seven votes out of ten. You know, certain people were ten out of ten, and that's how they ranked you was based off of how many votes you got in this Long Beach Press Telegram. Wait, then, is it like YouTube views now? Yeah. And then I, I won LA Times Lineman of the Year for Southern California, which was pretty cool. Um, you know, so like I got like a big award. Like, but I mean, at the time there was like in my picture was in the paper. Like yeah. it just, man, I remember my dad cut it out and I think somewhere in a scrapbook. So like that type of uh, information. But I think now today with like the Internet and like uh, YouTube and just, you know, social media and Instagram and this, like if you were a good player and you were pretty switched on with being able to just like, you know, like I was thinking about like just like if I was a high school senior and we had like cell phones and we could post our workouts uh, or even, you know, post highlights or this. I mean, it's just like, man, like, uh, man, I've told you guys this. Like, I'm so upset that uh, we didn't have cameras or even take notes of the shit that we did. I mean, I still get emails from people asking me about like, hey, what was Zangus's training like? And I'm like, oh, uh, shit. Um, I can't really, I can remember workouts. I remember things he said, but like, I wish I had all that information. I wish I had to chronicle it. I wish I, I remembered, uh, or just had more access to it. So I think it's, uh, I think it's really cool that kids have a, an, an easier way to get their information out. But I also remember even back then, if you were a good player, the teams were going to find you. 
I mean, it just it just how it happened. I mean, they come to watch one really good player and they see other good players and, you know, it's how it happens. So. Scott, you said the, a lot of coaches come to you as that, that face, that resource through the NSCA. What are some problems and challenges presented over the past few, few years that are almost new that weren't faced or you didn't have a solution immediately that you could direct them towards? And that I do have a solution for now. Maybe. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, I think um, a big one has been the growth or movement in high school coaching. So I think, we're, you know, we've come out with some really cool resources for high school strength and conditioning coaches that we've got this kind of toolkit, which is a packet that you can physically hand to your administrators and you can download it or we can send it to you. But um, it's kind of like how to propose a, a new position at a high school. Here's job description. Here's, mm. you know, testimonials on why it's important from other successful schools. Um, that's been a big one because I think a lot of these resources, you know, some people might have them, but it's not open access to anybody. And, and we're currently in the, in the works right now with our college coaches, special interest group, uh, developing the same thing um, on a couple different levels for college NCAA coaches. So uh, kind of phase one is like uh, we're working on this kind of handbook that will hopefully kind of get over to the NCAA for kind of an endorsement of, you know, best practices of strength and conditioning. Uh, there's a very similar document that NATA, the Athletic Trainers Association, has. It's kind of a sports medicine handbook. Mm -hmm. um, and the second would be like a, a more resource toolkit for college strength coaches with whether that be on, you know, working on budgeting or, you know, even uh, in personal investment for retirement, stuff like, like all these things that Again, it's, you know, the tagline for our podcast is, you know, everything that you didn't learn in school. Um, so it's all these other things that you really are supposed to know, but you don't realize that until you get out and you're like, oh, shit, how do I, how am I going to find out about right. this? <laughs> um, so there, there's definitely a lot in the works, you know, like that, which is pretty cool. I think what's, uh, what's interesting, especially with the NCA, that um, is pretty amazing in terms of chronicling information like uh, being able to look back and say hey you know like here's this like history of training but realizing how many different approaches and methods there are to getting to the same problem you know and like we you know uh, like how many people are using different templates like uh, everything from like a progressive overload to you know some some form of uh, you know I don't know percentage base to something like what Caldeets does you know where you're focusing on you know eccentric concentric and isometrics I mean there's a million different approaches and everybody is getting to kind of a similar end state and trying to fix the same problem at different ways and uh, you know I think the thing that's always fascinating for me is that there really is no right one answer, you know, like other than like consistency and like approach and like, you know, as long as it adheres to certain principles. Right. So by being able to provide people the foundational principles that they need to necessarily create their own, you know, their own system, let's say. Yeah. And then uh, what also makes me laugh is how people get stuck in dogma. Yeah. Like, oh, this is the only way, right. um, you know, like, you know, Nobody, nobody ever should back squat unless it's a box squat. I mean, like, and then people get in these like definitive statements where you're like, uh, I don't know. And so I think, uh, the one thing I think you guys have done a good job of is, uh, not really ever kind of coming down and putting the stake in the ground and being like, this is the only way to do this. Yeah. The, I, I just got in yesterday on Instagram, back and forth. The guy asked, um, What's the difference between compensatory acceleration and accommodating resistance? That's why I was like giving accommodating resistance examples so much. 
but then I'm providing like defining both and then all right well which is better okay well what's what's your athlete training for where what's their they're, life cycle of an athlete they're not really in, I mean they are inter they it, they could be related but they're two different things it, yes so I was just breaking down both all points and he was just trying to force me into a, a which is better and I didn't didn't give him one and all these different things mattered and then uh, I don't know so I just directed him to like different resources and I'm like I've given you as much information as I want to give you to figure out this for yourself. Not going to give you one or, well, you know, I, like I, yes or no. I remember when uh, I was talking to Fred Hatfield before he passed away and I asked him, I was like, you know, have you guys ever, has anybody ever done any extensive research um, showing that accommodating resistance allows people to learn compensatory acceleration quicker? And he, uh, at first when I poised him that question, I remember when we first talked, he's like, ah, it's you know, ridiculous. You just need to move the bar faster when the mechanical advantage increases. And then like two years later when I asked him, he's like, yeah, no, somebody did a study and it does work. And he's like, if, you know, but only in, uh, only as like a, um, uh, like a training response to teaching it. Mm -hmm. But if you can't develop compensatory acceleration without accommodating resistance, then that becomes like a barrier to it. Yeah. And he asked us which programs or why don't, we use accommodating resistance on our programs that we deliver through Train Heroic. And I'm like, we're training 5,000 people in their garage. We're not going to set them up for potential danger when we can put them in the best position with teaching them a, um, compensatory acceleration, far less risky if we're, you're 1,000 miles away. Well, I mean, it, you know, for us, I mean, when we got deep into the compensatory acceleration or um, the accommodating resistance, it, like, takes a monolift uh, to really <laughs> do it effectively right. If you're going to load up enough band and chain tension, like, when we, for us, like, to really drive adaptation, uh, it's next to impossible to walk out. You just got to stand up and have it swing away so you can do it. But then it's like I see people all the time, and they're like, well, I can do it out of my rack. And I'm like, if you can walk out of your rack with, with uh, accommodating resistance on, you're probably not strong enough to do the accommodating resistance or for the need of it. And it's just, it's just how it works. I mean, you remember when we were doing, when we were pretty deep into it, shit, you got 400 pounds of bar weight and another like 300 pounds of like band tension. So like, you know, we have 150 pound dumbbell sitting on the fucking mono. Cause when you stand up with it, if you don't have it, the mono shoots out. I mean, it's like, and then you get to the point where you're like, fuck, how would you walk this thing out? I can't even move. I put my feet in the ground. They're stuck to the ground. So it's, uh, it's definitely like interesting where people, and then they also, you know, if, if you read Louis stuff, Louis has no problem. Louis Simmons saying, this is the only way to train. And then he, if you're not doing this and you know, you're not training, but then when you go out and talk to Louis, he's like, ah, there's a lot of ways to skin the cat. And you're like, whoa, 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 it doesn't say it in your book. And he's like, ah, yeah, but, uh, well, yeah, it's, there's a lot of ways to do this stuff. I've said for a long time, I think I stole it from Dan John, uh, everything works, nothing works forever. Mm -hmm. I say that all the time. Like, that's training in a nutshell. And, and especially, like, the guys that, like, train at Westside and Matt Wennings and the people that are, you know, they're changing exercises every week because you get to this certain point, and, yeah, there's there's a point of diminishing returns that if this adaptation doesn't change, not going to, but they're also highly, that. uh, advanced, yeah. very, very high level athletes that, you know, like, uh, like I guarantee Matt winning squat looks the same right. with a, with a, a straight bar, a Buffalo bar, safety plot. Totally. I mean, yeah. he, he does have a bitch and he has one of our old, uh, the Hatfield old bars. And what mm -hmm. he did is he threaded, uh, chains through and he has handles. Yeah. So he yeah. uses the chains for like his hands to activate the lats, yeah. but it doesn't allow him to change right. like the elevation and the position of the bar, which I think is fucking That's genius. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. So like I've been looking at our bar and I'm like, ah, I could fucking drill this and thread this hole and then I could run chains. So I'll, I'll, 
I'll, I'll add it to the list of other shit I got to fabricate. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that is the trickle down problem uh, of trickle down problem <laughs> of people realize, you know, seeing that stuff and then trying to do it. Oh, I'm going to I'm going to do that with our high school kids. Right. Uh, oh, no, we've seen that. You shit. need to train for a long period of time. You just need to be strong. You don't well, need accommodating resistance or changing exercises every week or 14 different bars. Well, we saw, I remember we went out and observed a high school and they were doing box squats, um, which was fine. Other than the fact that like the six foot four kid was squatting with the five foot two kid. Remember that when those groups were watching them do box squats and like, it, like there was no uniformity of height, like everybody, there was one box, everybody like, you know, there, whatever, I think there was what, 10 stations, there was three partners, four stations who were trying to work 40 kids through and uh, one box height, and there was all these different heights, and every kid was squatting off the same box. And then the kid who was 5'2 was fucking rocketing. The kid that was 6'4 was like, you know, looked like he was uh, shitting a razor blade to try to get to the box. And I remember when the coach was like, what do you think? I'm like, so just one box height. He's like, yeah, why? What's the problem? I'm like, obviously nothing. You know? And it's like, I, I, I think people in, have best intentions. Totally. They just, um, they're, they're looking at it very one-to-one instead of seeing, like, the global landscape. Of like, what, you know, why do you want to squat to a box? Well, it helps me judge distance. Like, you never miss, you know, your distance on a box. You know, you can sit back farther and look at all the key factors. But also... At the end of the day, and I argued with Louie about this, is uh, there's more than happening, um, you know, when you're talking about a free squat and the ability to balance and that proprioceptive nature has greater carryover for performance-based sports like football, more so than sitting on a box. And we argued about that, but I still uh, still buy it. Don't, don't buy into it. I think the box squat has its place, but at the end totally. of the day, yeah. you know, I need to be able to balance that in, in uh, you know, through full range of motion. Right. And in that space, too, I feel like the high school coach and maybe collegiate, I don't know, I'm making a grand statement here, going tying Janelle McCauley's talk, you know, they're making their own problems, their athletes' problems, right? right? Like this would solve, oh, this solves so much for my training. Now I'm going to apply it to my athletes. When it's versus like, you know, how you're talking to like parents making their problems, their kids' problems. Uh, I think that's the same responsibility with the coach is understand your population isn't you. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah. It's the age old. What, what was one? Um, don't let the sins of the father become like the sins of the kid. Like that the idea where like, you know, the dad has a shortcoming of the mom and now my kid's going to somehow uh, bring redemption to the family. And uh, that's like the, uh, you know, the problem we see with a lot of sports. I mean, parents feel like, hey, this kid's going to somehow make me right in this whole thing. I kind of feel like maybe that's what you're doing with the Jack Street guys with all the calf work in the program. You know, because like, oh, oh, burn, burn, burn ban is on. Your calves are <laughs> burn calves <ban> is off. <sighs> you know, this was a problem. Uh, I used to have pretty nice big calves and uh, I ripped. I actually ruptured one in the uh, Indianapolis Colts game. And, uh, and then after like five and so I was like, well, at least I got one decent calf. So then like, uh, Lisa and I can kind of point to that. Like the rocks got one fucked up calf. And then after like my fifth knee surgery, my other calf just didn't grow. And I remember being like, I used to make fun of people for having small calves. (laughs) And, uh, and this is fucking, this is karma, God, whoever you want to say, uh, fucking getting me back. And I was always like, fuck, I'm like, that's why I don't make fun of people for being short hairlines. Uh, like, like I just leave it all alone. I'm like, you know what? Uh, the calf thing taught me a lot of humility. I'd be like, Oh, what's wrong with your calves? I guess you don't train. And then I, and then I was on some YouTube video and this dude was just bashing me. And I I like, that was the last time I ever read YouTube video comments. And I remember thinking like, and then somebody was like, I think that dude ruptured his calf playing the NFL. And he's like, no, he's just fucking lazy. (laughs) I'm like, fuck dude, you fucking bastards. Yeah. But Jack streets up to, I want to say like 300 calf raises a week. (laughs) 
Uh, actually, there's a uh, Johnny Bot has fucking a bunch of notoriously crazy catchphrases too. And uh, uh, I always thought that like, um, or what what I'm always fighting for is like more dorsiflexion. Yeah, yeah. So I found that like if I can like force that dorsiflexion, stretch. that stretch at the bottom, and then do something dynamic on the way up, like that was big for me. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, unfortunately, it doesn't work the same way it used to. But hey, thanks for bringing up some fucking painful. Hey, my no, life. no worries, buddy. You know, just just bringing off that ivory tower. Want want you with the common folk here. Ah, well, going fuck. back to the. The point um, before this, 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 what was before? If you rewind and then fast forward back to this, I can't remember what we were talking about. Uh, Making your your tiny calves. You mean um, the asking you asking developed? you guys what it's like to be over six feet tall? <laughs> Bro, I'm, you know I'm six oh, two. You know, the the two forty. The sins <laughs> the sins of the coach become the athletes. But uh, that's in line with the the coach needs a coach and why you need someone watching your at not you don't program for yourself because you're going to be biased you need someone watching your movements because also often your limitations from programming for yourself your athletes have it as well because you didn't know you had them so we see that a lot a lot of the the people coming to us to test for the block one they're the head coach of the gym they're the owner of the gym and they don't have people that are as in tune with coaching watching their movement so we can tell them a lot wrong with their movement when they come to us and they're like, I had no idea. And then also along with that point, I think it's important that a lot of coaches, right, they follow their own program before they give it to their athletes, but they are not their athletes level. I'm thinking of high school coaches. I'm also thinking up, right, professional that um, – yeah, but I mean, but the, didn't we fix a lot of these problems when we kind of got away no, from the they're, idea? No, still exist. But, but like, we we got into the idea of like, at least when I looked at it, like into more movement based stuff. Like, hey, like if I want to do, you know, like if your program does nothing but bilateral hip hinging all day in a sagittal plane, which we saw for years, and there's no unilateral movements. I mean, you know, there's no you know step squat lunge. I mean, there's none of these things. People get stuck because it looks really cool on Instagram to do nothing but bilateral hip hinging. And, and then do everything in a sagittal plane. Because good at it. Yeah. Well, but, but because it doesn't take athleticism to do nothing but put, stand up and down with your feet. I mean, that's why, like, when I see, you know, a ton of, you know, power lifter guys, and I'm not ripping on power lifters, come into training athletes, they want to do just power athlete templates. And I'm like, dude, uh, bench squat deadlift, while powerful tools for increasing strength do nothing to challenge athleticism and balance and coordination and other key factors. We're still fighting the fight because when I do go to drop in at colleges and talk to college coaches, they are, oh, I'm, I'm taking from this guy and this guy, and they are Olympic-based or power-based, but they're training basketball athletes or volleyball players. So they are training and using these tools for athletes, and I'm trying to get them to take on a perspective of this is training for this sport and it's new to them because they love lifting and that is their now sport yeah the movement standards the specific specificity of the sport carries over to what should be a general training stimulus just a sliver of training for that sport Uh right and they're valuable tools but it's about appropriating them correctly so that you have the highest transfer of training. Yeah. yeah like that, we're missing that gap. Like it's if you still take out there. like that 13 year old kid that, um, you know, you've been working with, like if he just does, and if he were just squat heavy and get stronger in basic lifts, he will get better as a 13 year old kid. Hands down. He will, he'll get faster. He'll jump everything. He'll then, but then all of a sudden it'll get to a point where yeah. he doesn't get better in the, the training. And you're not setting change. up a platform for long-term trainability, yeah. right? You're, you're really just potentially pigeonholing them into that, discipline or set of standards it's a shame 
So it's still going on? Yeah. And mm-hmm. it's going to be that whole, you know, how strong is strong enough, right? Like, Ooh, at yeah. this point, mm-hmm. you're going to have to realize it actually doesn't matter if I yeah. make this guy squat or girl squat 40 more pounds or even 20 more. Like, if it doesn't increase the vertical or make right. them jump higher. I yeah. mean, like I've, I've said for years, man, like when I walked down the NFL field, nobody asked me what my squat and bench was. Right. They just knew that I hit them hard. Mm-hmm. Like that was it. You know, they didn't, you know, and that was a really interesting, um, I think I, I don't know if I've told you this, but I think it was in Satoskorsky's book or super training where they talked about, uh, Olympic shot putters that the Russians figured out that about a 200 count, uh, 200 kilo bench yeah. was ideal. Science and practice. Science and practice for the, uh, 18 pound shot. And when it took the, the time, uh, lack of flexibility, uh, the speed, all the other key factors that decreased to get them to a 230 kilo bench, like negatively affected their ability to drive force. So they figured out like 200 kilos. And I remember reading that years ago and figuring out like for me as an NFL player that there was probably these metrics that I needed to hit. And, uh, you know, I've told you guys that I had a bunch of training things within my own that I knew when I hit those numbers that that paid dividends for what I needed and the time and effort that it took for me to go past that didn't affect and didn't help me and actually ended up hindering my abilities. But this is the importance of the research and coaches applying that to their program and training because a lot of the, oh, that should work. People are already testing that specific should and finding out, no, there's better practices or this is the best practice. Well, the, the other one too, um, which I regret, and this is the other thing why I'm kind of pissed that social media wasn't more prevalent a little while ago is uh adam nelson and woodski and i are all about the same age and uh i wish i had fucking known those guys when i was playing because when they talk about training and numbers i'm like fuck i would have searched like the four minute mile or whatever uh, dude i would have searched fucking woodski and adam nelson out and i would have been like showing up wherever they were and i'm like let's fucking go if i had seen like like them telling me hey this is what i did for my training i was like if i had heard about somebody doing that I would have got on a fucking plane and shown up and been like, I would have moved there just to fucking challenge you every single day. Yeah. And Witzke said the same thing. He's like, I'm fucking bummed that we met each other after the fact. I, w- I would have loved to have fucking thrown down. I'm like, it, w- it would have been an, uh, an epic fist fight for those fucking pussies that just want to throw implements and not fucking fists. <laughs> Even though I, they have gold medals and national championships and world, oh, fuck them. I would have loved to have yeah, gone fuck ahead. Fuck those guys. I would have, lo- dude. And I tell fuck them, you, Adam. Fuck I, you, I, I tell, I tell, I'm, I'm Team Adam. I tell I fucking Nelson all the time. I'm like, man, I would have fucking loved it. He's like, I would have. And he gets all fucking excited too. He's like, it would have been fucking great. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought it was funny. He was hanging out Monday and just fucking around with the kettlebell. And he's like, yeah, I invented all these exercises. And he would show them. And he's like. Then as soon as I traveled more and went to different coaches, I realized I didn't invent anything. <laughs> <laughs> no, he told me he invented them all. They've been stealing them. Oh, I'm well, fine with that, that story. That's, that's a Luke Summer style <laughs> of confabulation. <laughs> he's, like, he's like, I had all these movements for kettlebells, and I started showing them to people, and then all of a sudden people started telling me they invented them. Did he, was he swinging the uh, little techs and big techs? Nah, he got a little nervous seeing those. Well, he, he oh. doesn't have big hands. Oh, that's right. He's he's small. Yeah, small guy. Yeah, right? like small, explosive, like hard little hands. Like, yeah, like, just, just like little sit. paws. But they're capable of amazing feats. Yeah, right? like he could throw a shot fucking like a hundred feet. You know, oh, yeah. quarter Adam, mile. Adam is my guy, man. Darkness, oh, yeah. darkness guy. No, no burn yeah. bands yeah. off. Well, no, burn bands on. Now, if he's here, we'd be like, fuck, he does have gold medals. Yeah. <laughs> In the rare chance that we get this podcast in front of him, it's going to be awesome for him to hear this and him just go fucking red and psychopath and like stop the car wherever he's at and drive up here and drive up here and beat our ass. <laughs> turn, turn on his superhero. He's he's out of shape. 
Uh, well, yeah. if you hear that, Adam, the trials are coming up. So uh, if this you want motivation, oh yeah, uh, twenty years later, the return. Uh, I think it's, it's by John Wellman. Uh, shit talking. I, uh, I'll do it. I just dude, the fact that Woodski and uh, and Adam were out there and I didn't know them is like fucking that. Like I, I want a time machine to go back, just to get those dudes. So you had a time machine. That's what you would do. Yeah. Cool. I would go back in time and I would take young John Wellborn and I'd fucking send him out and I'd be like, there's this dude, Derek Woodski and, and Adam Nelson, go find them and fucking smash them. Like what year? <laughs> what year are you thinking? Uh, I would think like 01, 02. If, if, if I could get them when I was like, tw- if we were all like 25, 24, 25, 26. So I think it was 03 was the year I came in at 306, 307 at uh, 8% body fat in the bod pod. So I was the only dude over 300 pounds I ever tested under 10% and I was 282 pounds of lean muscle. And that's when I did the uh, five by five. It was a uh, 405 bench, 495 squat on the minute for 10 minutes. So you end up with like five sets of five under yeah, 10 minutes. Yeah. And then I did like 10 pull-ups and 90 pounds between my waist and just fucking slayed it. Yeah. And um, I have... It's the 11th principle. Uh, I'll slay all day. Uh, so if I had met those dudes at that fucking time, like, I've, I, dude, it, it would have been a great training environment, dude. Because oh, yeah. what did Adam say he did? What was it, like 585 for a set of 26 on the squat oh. or 28 reps? Yeah. One more. And he just kept doing them. Yeah. Yeah. Two more. <laughs> I would have fucking seen it and been like, ah, because like I, I, I wouldn't even have thought to have done it. But when I saw it, I'm like, well, if he can do it, I can do yeah. it. I didn't even right. know you could do that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. What about like a what about like a sixteen year old John Wellborn meeting a sixteen year old Woodski? Uh, he would have fucking were, smashed me. Yeah, but but it opens up like a realm of possibility. Well, the fact right? that when he was fifteen years old, he went to that thing and never lifted weights, and he squatted like four fifteen. Yeah, like I, I, like he was like just so like very very genetically gifted. Like I was a late bloomer. Like I, if I had met him when I was sixteen, I would have been like fuck. Like, I just remember showing up at college, uh, 18 years old. And, um, I remember we were like, I put like, you know, moving in, put my toothbrush and shit. And I remember my uh, roommate being like, where's your, you don't have a razor. And I'm like, no, why do you? He's like, yeah, I shave every day. I'm like, I've never shaved. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I didn't own a razor. Like, uh, like I, I didn't know, like it was crazy. Like how, um, even though I was tall and pretty strong and whatever, like how physically far behind I was. I mean, dude, he had a fucking chest hair and a beard. Mm-hmm. At 18, and I was like, mm, "Fuck, I, I've never even shaved. I couldn't even grow a mustache." Mm-hmm. So, like, I and but I think that pays dividends because then you mature a little bit later, come into it. And but yeah, man, that's uh, grow a mustache already. I haven't shaved in two weeks. These fucking super troopers. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, like McQuilkin over there just grew that last night. That's his fucking five o'clock shadow. Oh no, this has been 20 days, and it's coming off tonight. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what's going on? You're going to a, a bachelor party with a mustache. Yeah, bro. So are you telling people you're a fireman? No. He's a, how, what do you got going on like there? You got to get the handlebar, man. That's handle, like, I can't connect. You, Why do you think I don't grow a beard? Because I can't connect. Take some of that chest hair. Glue <laughs> it, it on. Yeah. It's different colors. That's a problem. Uh, uh, that's all right. Okay. Oh, sure. Sounds sure. great. <laughs> At that point, I would just won't care. But mm-hmm. no, he's a cop. It's a bachelor party for a cop. A cop. You got to tell us you're a cop. So everyone else except one person's a cop, so I'm going to go and... Are you the it. one person that's not a cop? No, me and the, the other college buddy. Uh, so, so are you going to go, like, you can get some pomade and slick back that hair? What's the deal? Yeah. Are you really? And get a liter cola. What else do cops you gotta, do? <laughs> slick that hair back, grow that mustache, get yourself a pair of aviators. aviators. And oh. you're basically, like, dude, you're chick magnet at that point. I hope you're ready to break some hearts. Well, I'll be wearing my Big Trouble in Little China tank, so... Uh, that's a whiff. 
What? You got to get something. No, I think uh, you need your to shoulders are so hairy. I don't know if don't wearing that think, tank top's a good look. Don't you think that t- like he's got to get rid of the shirt, just ditch it all together, and maybe go with a pair of jorts? Uh, no, I was going to say he just shaves like a, a tank top in the in the hair. That's so what? So he just hilarious. Wears like, Basically, like what a, I'm going a hair top. I'm trying to get text to go with Freddie Mercury. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I got the Wranglers. He's a big Wrangler guy. Yeah, but you need to cut those Wranglers. Macrame. Shorts. Okay, I trust you. You know, I just we. Yeah, Luke, Luke is never going to steer you wrong. Uh, it is my, uh, you know, my annual peaking moment tended to be at bachelor parties. That's like you could hear like whoa, whoa, hear a whoa, shutter. Whoa, whoa, you were peaking for two years? <laughs> Straight. <laughs> uh, Luke, oh, so alpha. Luke, uh, what was it, 35 bachelor parties in two years? Yeah, something like that. It's yeah. pretty close. Like, uh, yeah. like uh, Luke would show up every Monday. He's like, you know, uh, I got to go to this bachelor party on Thursday. I'm like, did you just go to another bachelor party? He's like, uh, I, it's on the calendar. I'm like, what? Well, I, going and traveling with Luke, I know that he just makes friends. So I imagine that he was at this bachelor party and some guys like those guys are peaking we need those party starters and we yep. get recruited in yep. and that's probably how this happened but no, no lie we were at saint patrick's day in belfast and luke ended up getting invited to oh, yeah. a dude's wedding uh-huh. in the, the stand the, in his wedding yeah uh-huh. 15 guinnesses and then all of a sudden you're standing in this guy's wedding that you just met in belfast mm-hmm. and the wedding's tomorrow well, he's, we he's a people person. <laughs> Unlike you, you serial killer. I know. Yeah. I'm a great well. I'm a great person. <laughs> Tex and I had split ways at that point because he had found a lady to talk to. Oh. Yeah. And they were in just a deep conversation. And I'm like, I... Straight out of here. Great accent. And like we were out at like, it was just getting like the vampires were kind of coming out to the bar. You know, like people were really well, ready when to you, you start You start drinking at noon. The vampires come out around 6 p.m. and yeah. they're just normal people. My safe, my safe space is hotel bar because like if things get like too tipsy, you're right, your room's right upstairs, right? And oh, just, you mean the hotel or the bar in your hotel? Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So that's where I met this fella who was getting married, and it was kind of a sad story. He had been like a uh, like full time exchange student, um, I think from pretty impoverished spot in Africa, and he had like studied in Europe, then Germany, then the States, and he had been all around, and then had met a, a girl from uh, Boston, like Southside Boston, in Ireland at his last year of university, and they fell in love and were getting married, and he, he didn't know who his family was. Like, he had no fucking family. So it was just this guy, no friends, no family, because his friends were her friends, and then all of her huge family, family from South Boston, and, like, interracial deal, so he's an African, Mar- or African dude, uh, and she was a white chick and like there's some tension there and like I just started talking to the family and I'm like hey just relax man this guy's great have you talked to him yet and they're like no we haven't talked to him I'm like go fucking talk to this guy he's a great guy and then I'm talking to the aunt I'm talking to like um the the parents of the bride like it was just it was nonsense and then I sat down and a bunch of Russian dudes came in and started playing on the piano oh that was pretty cool and then I'm like I, I just I got bad juju like where they're playing like these Russian anthems, oh, gosh. you know, and then like these, this South Whoa. Boston family. And then like this, I fucking just got out of there. That was like pull the ripcord moment. No, I, I had lost Luke and I was wandering the streets looking for him. I gave up and I'm going into the hotel and I hear that the cackle. The laugh. Uh-huh. What, Hinsman was there? No. <laughs> Luke's, Luke's, oh, la- oh, Luke's cackle. Yeah, it gets louder when, yeah, he's, he's- libations. Anyway, so then I hear the laugh and I go up and then he starts introducing me to this. The bar is shut down by then. And but I negotiated, if you recall, so they had a gate that went around this like bar. I said, just crack that open, leave that open there. 
and just leave a couple like bottles of wine and a couple <laughs> bottles like just leave them right there just it'll be good and they left it and then so i could reach in there and like top people off it was the fucking best i was a celebrity Man, uh, that was like when I went to Brewer's Wedding over in the UK, and I showed up with my wife and kids and uh, the deal, and I realized uh, Cashy, my son, and I, who's like five months old, we're like Brewer's Wedding Party. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, did you invite anybody? He's like, no, nah, just my mom. I'm like, thank God we came. Because <laughs> I had like a five-month-old and then my twin girls, and like we flew from Orange County to uh, the UK or to, to London, and uh, I still laugh about that. I'm like, at the wedding, I'm like... Are we the only ones here? He's like, yeah, you guys. Um, I'm like, so it's me and Cash. I'm like, hold my bit. I'm like, all right, I guess we stand up here then. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, yeah, that was a, uh, he, he, he could have told us that one. Thanks, Brewer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but ended up not standing in the wedding. We had a seminar. Oh. Yeah, so it was a little busy. But and I saw those guys when we checked out, I think. And I was like, how's the wedding? He was like, how's epic? But, but. Yeah, they said a cardboard cut out of you. <laughs> I offered that. <laughs> you travel with you that? You travel with one. <laughs> yeah, but you don't? You never know when you need uh, to stand dude, it. Dude, I actually had a really good time in Belfast. Uh, we oh, ate at that great. South of Belfast place. Um, no, Taste of Belfast or South of... Or, um, man. Yeah, that no, was a good spot. And then I tried to get him to take up uh, our uh, team picture in front of the uh, and, uh, the IRA anti-English uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, like graffiti. <laughs> yeah, so so they have all this like anti-England, uh, like uh, pro-IRA, like uh, like graffiti things. And I was like, hey, let's take a picture. They go, no way. And like a bunch of dudes wouldn't take the picture. I'm like, what do you mean? It's just like a nice, but they're like, you know what that means? I'm like, no fucking no idea. idea. Yeah, I'm not from here. But yeah, it was a good time. Yeah. What else we got? Uh, well, you mentioned your podcast, Scott. So the NSCA Coaches Podcast, and you, we got to the theme. I wrote it down. Everything you didn't experience or learn in school. So what was the Pretty origin? Much. You've been doing that a couple of years? We're on our third season, yeah. Uh, we publish every other week, so two a month. Um, kind of came up from actually us, again, when I mentioned listening to our members, we pulled some of the pulled bunch, you know, and strength coaches were the ones that came back and said podcasts were their thing. So education team, you know, came to me and said, hey, you want what do you think about this? And I was like, I don't know. What do you do on a podcast? Right. Like, I mean, and then uh, we ask that question every <laughs> single time we get on the podcast. I think we're doing it. You talk about penguins. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, we're doing it, Jerry. We're fucking doing it. Uh, and yeah. And so we went down that whole I think the day that we uh you know like when I when it finally came out to fruition I had read somewhere or heard on you know a stat that there was I think 350,000 podcasts out there and so I was like cool 351 let's go uh but it's been great we've had a huge huge uh response from people I mean I get people reaching out on social media every day you know saying that it helps them and, it, and it's been great so I think it's been it's connected with another um again, group of people that we might not, you know, connect with that great. Uh, again, it's engaging younger people. It's, it's people who have been in their careers for 10 years. I mean, it's a wide array, which is pretty cool. And again, the diversity of the coaches that we're able to get on there, you know, Tex has been on, we've had people who, you know, spent time as strength coaches and now are physical therapists. There's just so much diversity and goes to show you how many different things you could potentially do in this world of coaching. You know, it's pretty cool. I imagine that's a pretty solid spot to go if you're someone behind a desk, you know, pushing pencils at a corporate gig, wanting to break into this space to get a feel for what you're really getting into. Because I feel it seems like a glamorous thing for for young and hungry coaches. But then, like you said, you know, you get into it and there's like, you know, no one ever told me this. Right. Right. And not that that's even a bad thing. It's just having 
an aligned set of expectations getting into the profession, yeah. right? And knowing what you're getting into fully. Yeah. I mean, a lot of life lessons, there's a lot of, you know, you know, things I wish I did or didn't do, or, you know, just, you know, experiential things that you wouldn't get, mm-hmm. you're not going to get from, uh, you know, reading an article that somebody wrote or all these different things or seeing them speak at a conference. We don't talk really much about training. We, we get into it once in a blue moon, but it, it's really about everything else except training, which is the coolest part. Again, just kind of us chopping it up and talking about whatever. Who are some of your favorite guests? Favorite guests, aside from oh, McQuilkin. That's... Uh, uh, well, we got our quote for the show. <laughs> that's obligatory. <laughs> just letting you know that. But a great, good job, Tex. Golf clap for Tex. Yeah, yeah, a... But go on, sorry. Uh, you know, I've had... A, I mean, we're on season three. We've had some great guests. Um trying to think you know brian Mann, good friend of mine always love having me having you know him. tex is a lot better when we're not around <laughs> that's true yeah i mean he feels like he can really spread his wings and, well i'm yeah. writing down all these jokes <laughs> <laughs> and i go on different podcasts and, you know no i, I yeah, yeah no uh, uh, brian spoke at our symposium last year right. and um he, you know uh, it was uh actually really good speaker i mean yeah. s- super dynamic amazing information you know we'd had him on the podcast read his information and uh but yeah i was uh that was actually one of my favorite uh, uh, pieces from the symposium. I mean, for me, like, you know, getting him doing the Talk to Me Johnny's, I'm kind of like in the moment. So to actually stand back and see somebody present, and he's a good presenter. Yeah, he's fantastic. He breaks it down. Uh, Andy Galpin, Dr. Andy Galpin, again, the Cal State Fullerton, uh, you know, not quote unquote a strength coach, but at the same time, you know, has coached, coaches weightlifting, does some other stuff. Uh, he does a great job of breaking down science and making it usable and practical for everybody else so he's been great he's also heavily involved with the nsca so it's been cool to have him on and be able to talk about you know progression of involvement as a volunteer within the organization became you know being state directors or getting on committees or being the chair of the conference committee yada 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 um some that you might not have heard of uh, a couple that come to mind again um good friend megan young who's you know in professional soccer now um Caitlin Quinn, she works for uh, Toyota Racing Development. She was a strength coach at Florida State, so into some pretty cool areas that we're now seeing branch into with, uh, you know, motorsports and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's been it's been fun, and we do them all in person, so, it's, you know, it's like this, and as you guys know, again, from just from doing them, I mean, sometimes it's tough when, when you're doing it through the screen to get that engagement, and I think, you know, for for when it's just me by myself that that makes it a lot tougher so being able to sit down and do them all in person is a really really unique aspect also makes it logistically a little bit of a aspect of trying to figure out how to get them but again with my you know conference and travel schedule it's pretty easy for me to pack up my laptop and the stuff I need and bring it with me and yeah I've done uh you know Joe Ken and I sat down for two hours in my hotel room in Indy and did it at the combine one year so like it's it's the I joke around it's like the NSCA gorilla coaching podcast you never know what we're gonna be like (laughs) in some closet somewhere at a conference or uh you know we're, we're starting to we're starting to get a little uh you know, bigger and better. We have a banner, you know, and uh, we're going to have a, I was telling Tex, we're going to blow it out a little at the national conference. So we've got a pretty big setup. That's going to be pretty cool. Although the first one, I'll have to send you guys a picture when it comes out, but the first iteration of this, so it's like a big booth, basically like an L shaped table for four people to sit. And then the background has this, the first one they came was just a 
we had given him a bunch of pictures and the, and the first one that the designer came back with was just like the picture of me, like my headshot, like this, <laughs> like, like Joe up, Weider, like, like that, a bust, like that big on the thing. And we were perfect. I was like, yes, that's the yes. one. <laughs> oh, no. And they were like, yes. uh, no, yeah, but no, I did. I vetoed it first. Actually. I was like, uh, did, I did love you take that. The, Can I get it? Could you I get that to, to my house? house take but. that home. <laughs> like it's, it's, it's over my bed. <laughs> Well, that's great. So, what yeah. do they want? So that's where they where the search mirrors is NSCA podcast, or yeah, it's on iTunes, Google Play, all that good stuff. Uh, Spotify, NSCA Coaching Podcast. There yep. you go. Yeah, it's pretty great. Again, check it out. Uh, people, yeah, like I said, hit me up on social media. You know, uh, like I mean, great story. The guy, oh, that, the guy that this found, is one to remember. The guy that found us yesterday. Uh, that's a first for social media. So yeah, we were so I listeners. We were busy. I wish you guys had told me that because I wouldn't. Uh, I would have been a little more nervous, um, about ready to fucking mm-hmm. throw down. We were visiting UT. Coach Donnie Mabe at the Olympic Sports Weight Room got a little workout in. I smashed some armadillos. John Tex couldn't keep up. Hang on, we'll just cut out and move on there. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> and out of nowhere, I see, there's kind of a cat in there in a different polo. I figured he was like an intern or shadowing, right? And um, he's talking to Scott. The next thing you know, he's talking to some of the other junior coaches there yeah, and interns. Yeah, some some NFL guys trained in. We're like, oh, shit, he must. Mm-hmm. He's talking to those guys. Right. He must and be something. He kind of comes up. We circle up and he introduces himself. Were those guys NFL guys? talking to him. Uh, QB1? Yeah, well. And then long story short is uh, we get a group picture with him and Coach Mabe is like, you know, I'm good. I'll, I'll stay out of this group picture. And I'm like, oh, okay, so maybe like UT branding. I, I don't know. Right. And then we fucking find out that he was peeping on Scott's social media, saw the pin that he had dropped, went to the pin and just walked into the fucking building. And he was just a stranger from Istanbul. And this this weight room is not easy to find. Plus, there was construction. Yeah. So I I don't know how he did it. No idea. Yeah, that happened. (laughs) But we got a group picture with this guy, and it's probably tremendous. And so he's probably going to listen to this podcast. Moral like, of the story is don't ever drop an accurate pin. Right. Yeah. yeah. No, always throw I, I, I usually film, drop. I usually drop. and post later. So what I do post is later, I usually yeah. drop Hollywood and Vine. Like I, like, I usually put, like, landmarks, you know. But interesting. Resourceful cat. Well, yeah. 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 I mean, Be dangerous well with your social media. Mm-hmm. Uh, what? Uh, oh, you were talking. So they're NFL dude. Oh yeah, we shouldn't talk about him on the on the oh, line. Okay. But um, and so our, one of my favorite things is when AA was posted more pen and paper apps. You were a big part of that. The doctor jacked and uh, Mrs. Hyde. I don't know what your uh, alter ego is, but uh, yeah. How did that relationship start? I know he's a great guy, and I, he's been in California forever. So where did you run into AA? And yeah, man, what's what's the story there? Yeah, good friend. Uh, I'm going to say three years ago, he came out when he start when he came out with the Dr. Jacked program. Um, and he gave me kind of my own copy of it at the coaches conference in January. Um, and it kind of had a little, you know, personal note that basically said, you know, you were part of my inspiration for writing this program. And, you know, the, the original Dr. Jack guy is kind of this guy in like a suit and tie on one half and then this Jack dude on the other half. But I mean, part of it goes back to, I joke around, I say all the time that I have this bullseye on my chest because you know, the last, the, the one thing you need to open up to whoever, the trolls or whatever they, the people is like, to be like, oh yeah, we know that, that fat, uh, head strength coach at NSCA, you know, or, right. You know, yeah. so, you know, I've, I've taken it 
as a, you know, kind of personal mission, whatever, to, to try and be more jacked. It's a general principle. Represent you the know? brand. Yeah, that's, yeah. The, that's, a, that's a 12 principle. Yeah. After slay all day, be jacked all day. <laughs> be jacked, jacked all, day. all day. Yeah. No, I, I, I mean, dude, it, it, um, it really, like, it's pretty interesting. You would think that, like, all the information in the world and, like, you know, smart as you are in this, like, if you don't actually look the part, then people will instantly just fucking discredit it. 100%. And, uh, you know, like, oh, well, like, what do you know? And be like, all right, well, uh, fuck, obviously more than you. But, like, I mean, right. that piece <sighs> is just an interesting fucking kick. And, um, yeah, I mean, because, as you know, you see people that are in fucking great shape and they're posting shit up and you're like, yeah, this guy has no fucking idea what yeah, he's doing. Exactly, yeah. So, I mean, that's where it started. He, he kind of called me that. And then we've we've had fun in the last couple of years just playing, you know, tagging it on social media and hashtagging it, whatever. And then whatever it was, I think it was a year after that, he came out with Coach Caulfield's Arm Farm, uh-huh. uh, which is a program that he has, which I again, I have nothing to do with. Like, it's all Aaron. It's all pen and paper. Um, maybe was the inspiration. I don't know. Well, you know, we'll, we'll say. But Shit, uh, <laughs> he, he had a video it was yesterday. He's like four or five for like a triple. Yeah. yeah. And uh, he's got his uh, gray sweat society and all yeah, that other shit. Yeah, I was still getting after it. I was like, yo, man, like probably. Um, and it's hard for me to say this because uh, I'm not a USC fan as obviously, you know, Golden Bear. But like uh, seeing those kids and them getting the opportunity to have double A be their coach and like the, you know, the perspective that he has now being stepping away and coming back in and how to influence and like create culture and that like uh, I'm stoked for those young men that they get an opportunity to like compete in that environment with him. I'm just fucking sad that it's USC, which I actually despise, but (laughs) I'm stoked for him and those kids. I mean, I can never be mad at the kids. It's just fucking hate SC. It's the worst. It's not their fault. Essie <laughs> is the worst, especially when you lived in like Southern California, Orange County, especially just like you meet people and you're like, oh, you went to USC, didn't you? They're like, oh, yeah. You're like, yeah, how'd, I, you, how'd you know? How'd you know? Uh, it could be the pink, it could be the pink polo and the sweater tied around and the Mercedes with the license plate and all that. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, there's a line from Hot Tub Time Machine where a dude is working at a, a dog grooming shop and uh, the, the cop from Reno 911 the actor, I don't know his name, but he comes in all prepped out, sweater, yeah. pop collar. And uh, Craig Robinson's like, you drive a BMW, don't you? He's like, how'd you know? He throws him his keys covered in shit because the dog ate him. That was just funny. No, I like when he's got his hand in the dog's ass. And he's like, so what are you doing these days? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Remember? He's like, oh, yeah, did, did, yeah. He's like, didn't you spend that van? He's like, yeah, yeah, I did. He's like, what, what are you doing these days? And he's just like got his hand in the dog's ass. He's like, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of great stuff in Hot Tub Time oh, Machine. Oh, yeah. The top five movies all the time. Yeah, it's great. We can't end on that, are we? Is that how we're ending? <laughs> what, Scott, what's your favorite movie of all time? Oh, all time. Well, there's got to be like a top five. I say current, like just current go-to fave. I think I like think. top five is usually pretty safe for people because I mean, I couldn't tell you my top, like number one five overall movie. It still seems restrictive. I need some, need some boundaries. Yeah, we know. Mm-hmm. That is tough. Uh, probably, yeah. I mean, one of the super troopers has to be up there somewhere. Mm-hmm. Nice. One or, one or two. Uh, one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Come what on. the fuck was that test? <laughs> it's a joke. <laughs> Kindly leave. Hey, I am going to cross it off the I, list. I, I, I won't use that. the Vermont State Police humor more, mm-hmm. than, more than most being from Vermont. Um, big Tom Cruise fan. So I'd say, you know, Top Gun was probably part of the inspiration of me joining the Navy in the first place. Perfect timing from, from those people. They got a lot of us with that one. So yeah. well, That's well played. Well played. Yeah. <laughs> um, gosh, I don't know what else. 
Roadhouse. You, you, I'm dating myself. You told people. No, I'm I, not at all. These are all favorite, favorite movies of mine. <laughs> Intern, have you seen Roadhouse? Have you seen Top Gun? Have you seen Super Troopers? What? what? <laughs> that was a no from the internet. Is that for real? <laughs> oh, he's making, he, but he is taking. He's making a list. Super Troopers. Wow. That's you, what like you know. What's, what, what's going to be funny is he's going to watch it and be like, "Oh, these unoriginal bastards." It's like when eighty uh, percent of the podcast uh, is unoriginal bastards. It's uh, <laughs> it, it's like we we sat down to watch Caddyshack with my brother's wife, and she like looks over to us. She's like, "You guys suck." I'm like, "Why?" She's like, "I didn't realize you guys have ripped off this entire movie," and I'm like. <laughs> So, so, like, uh, uh, you're right. Damn it. Well, that's a solid list. Yeah, Kill Bills, the Kill Bill movie mm-hmm. series, pretty right up there for me. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah. I like to watch, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a prison jail, you know, prison break, those types of movies. Shawshank? All fall in my wheelhouse. Yeah, Shawshank Redemption? Sure. Yeah. Have you seen Escape Plan? Arnold sure. and Stallone. I oh, saw it. I think I saw I, there's it. Yeah. It's no way I did not see that, but it's not ringing about. It's not that good. It's that's the sounds yeah. perfect. Yeah. <laughs> have you seen uh, Cell Block 99? Oh, Vince, Vince Vaughn? Vaughn? No, I have not. Good? Just fly, flew under the radar with that one. Is it similar it's, to it's, one it's with really the, the Jamie Lannister actor uh, where he gets Kingpin. In the, is it Kingpin? I think it's Kingpin. Kingpin. Oh, they, they named it after one of the greatest comedies of all time? <laughs> that might, that's true. Maybe I'm thinking of Kingpin. <laughs> Fuck, what is Either it? way, it's, yeah. a, it's pretty darn good. It's a Vince Vaughn sleeper. Okay. Yeah, and it's got like, you know, Quentin Tarantino level like special effects oh. where he's, you know, stomping people's heads and they're exploding. I mean, oh. yeah, it's pretty, yeah. yeah. Oh, I'll check that one out. It's a sleeper. I love it. That sounds great. <laughs> well, ladies and gentlemen... This is another episode of the premier podcast in strength and conditioning. Thanks for listening. And if you've made it this far, go to iTunes and give us a five-star rating, or we're going to come over to your house with a sack of oranges. We're going to slap you. I thought thought, thought it was a wet fish. Yeah, but we're out of wet wet fish from slapping all those other people. So we're going going to bag of oranges. Bag of oranges, because here's the thing. They really sting, they really hurt, but they never bruise, okay? No, they bruise. You don't. Exactly. Thanks, Tex, for the clarification. They won't leave a bruise. We got a lot of oranges. Well, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of fructose, right? Yeah, which is the... Thing that blocks the toxicity of dianabol in your liver. That's correct. That's what fructose through oranges... That's what I believe is true. Yes. Yeah. So do it. Go to iTunes on your phone. How do you even do it? I guess I've never left a review. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking hypocrite. So I need to leave a review for our own podcast. That seems a little disingenuous. Yeah. You talk trash on your own page through another page. What the hell are you even talking about? Yeah. Bro? You pretending to be premier penguin. Ing, ing, ing. No, that's not me. But seriously, go follow that account, people. And that's it. That's all the time we have. Uh, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Thanks, Scott. Bye. Bye. Now it's time for you to empower your performance. Check out NSCA.com for more information on upcoming events and plenty of great resources to continue your growth as a coach or an athlete. Until next time, bye!